All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Department of Discipline. Whoop, whoop, emergency podcast, emergency podcast. Jay, we sat down earlier this week and there was nothing. It was crickets. It was tepid. There was hardly any news. We may have well asked you what's your favorite uh, lunchbox sandwich was as a child. We had nothing to talk about. And, you know, the news in the hockey world ebbs and flows. Uh, literally the day after we recorded, it, it felt as if the hockey world was turned upside down and set on fire. It's a busy show. We don't usually jump on on the weekend, but we're doing it because it's big news and there's lots to talk about. And as you had said in the group chat, this is what our show is for. We got to put something out. We're also going to be in Toronto for All-Star Break next weekend, recording Friday. And so why not a little emergency podcast? Later in the program, we're going to touch on the Brendan Gallagher five-game suspension from the league. What went right? What went wrong? What do we think of it? We'll get to that. Also, if you remember the Panthers and Coyotes when they played about three weeks ago, things got messy. Nick Cousins getting dirty. Jason Zucker, bad hit. Scrap, scrap, scrap. They played again just a few days ago. We'll touch that. But first, we dive into the Hockey Canada sexual assault charges that are expected to be laid in early February. Uh, this stemming all the way back to 2018 when members of the Hockey Canada Gala at the end of the year from the World Junior Team were accused of sexual assault by a victim in London, Ontario. For more insight on sexual assault charges and exactly how this case and other sexual assault cases unfold, uh, we go to an award-winning criminal defense lawyer and educator. She has three law degrees from three different countries and has successfully defended hundreds of people facing criminal accusations. She's a public a published author, as well as hosted a TED Talk, and teaches advanced criminal law at the University of Calgary. I'm also told she throws a mean left hook. 
with a black belt in Muay Thai. So, Jay, that makes her at least the toughest or second toughest person on the podcast today. Let's welcome Casey <laughs> Fagan. Joining us from vacation, Casey, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Well, why don't we start with uh, just your experience in this field, defending people who have been accused of sexual assault and maybe, I guess, in layman's terms, talking about where we're at in a process and where things might head from here. Sure. So in terms of my experience, I, I could sadly say that I've lost count of the number of sexual assault charges that I've defended in the last decade plus. Sexual assault charges are a little bit unique in the sense that you have a right to choose whether or not you want a trial by jury or by judge. So I've done both of those. Uh, the charges themselves are becoming more and more commonly laid. I think that's as a consequence of the Me Too climate that we exist in these days. Uh, and they're also becoming more difficult to defend. Uh, the criminal code has been adapted over the years and, it, and it's in a constant state of change. But uh, those changes have certainly not been to the advantage of my clients and people like my clients. Uh, so the changes have um, impacted what evidence we can use uh, and how we can use it. My most recent um, my most recent sexual assault trial involved similar facts to what we're dealing with uh, today with Hockey Canada. Uh, single female alleged that uh, some group activity occurred in a hotel room. Lengthy investigation. Uh, my client was ultimately acquitted, so he was found not guilty, but uh, even simple exposure to the criminal process is a lot, um, as I'm sure these five players are about to discover. It's true. And your TED Talk talked uh, uh, essentially on that topic, that when uh, we're waiting for justice to take place and for a trial to begin and end and get a result while justice is being served, I suppose, uh, in the public space, a lot of people have already made up their minds. And I thought it was a really fascinating conversation, not necessarily new in the grand scheme of things, but in in the digital space, it is new, where people on Twitter will have already arrived at conclusions, whether uh, the victim's making things up or that these people should be, you know, their heads are on, on, on spikes. What have you noticed in the change of, of climate around these events and how difficult can the, the court of public opinion be for people accused, even if they are absolved of, of any charges or crimes? I mean, great comments and, and great insight on that. You know, it's almost impossible to escape these types of allegations and these types of charges unscathed in a digital world. Uh, there's a permanent record of it made online. People are publicly named, as I, I'm, I'm sure these five players will be soon. Uh, and the, the, the important thing that people need to understand is how easy it is to charge someone in this country. So if I was to run a play, uh, Ryan, you could walk into a police station tomorrow and say, Rosie decked me six months ago and you know gave me a shiner. You could say that to the police and they could take that simple accusation and lay a charge of assault against him without any further investigation. So it really, it really is that simple to get charged in this country. And I think when you put in per, into perspective how low that bar is, uh, and that's where we're at with these five athletes right now. It, it's a simple charge at this stage. Uh, you know, it it may mean something. It may not mean much at all. It's very different than a conviction at the end of the day. So I, I think people should bear that in mind, bear in mind the presumption of innocence, uh, and let due process take its course before they pass judgment. You had noted in your TED Talk that 
over a third of charges uh, are, are not ending up holding up in court. So there, there's certainly some wiggle room here. Um, wiggle room is probably the wrong word, but there, there, there are lots of outcomes here that don't see, uh, if you're playing the numbers, all five of these uh, players or athletes found guilty at this point. That, that's a fair assessment of, of the probabilities or odds? Or, or do you see a higher standard here because of how elevated this stage is, that the London police may have gone to a further degree uh, given that the media attention and the status of the people involved? Well, the standard's the same regardless of who you are. The standard is proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And if if the Crown has that evidence, and if that evidence is deemed admissible by a judge, uh, and that evidence raises to the high standard of proof beyond a, a reasonable doubt, then certainly there could be a conviction. We are a long ways away from that. And this case has a lot of hair on it, from what I can tell, and a lot of unique complexities that uh, that we don't often see. So we're a long ways away from that. I'm sure these, uh, I'm sure these athletes have hired competent counsel who will fight tooth and nail to ensure that a conviction isn't the outcome. And Casey, we're talking about, you know, the, the legalities of this, you know, obviously the accuser would make it sound, you know, like one of the most horrid things that have ever happened had taken place there. Um, the accused are going to make it, you know, the way they would tell the story, it would be more of, uh, you know, teenage shenanigans. Obviously the court of law doesn't work on hearsay. How difficult is it based on the fact this is a private matter behind closed doors that happened years ago to come up with proof to actually charge like lay charges and, and convict people. Is that the toughest part in this situation for both parties is finding proof of, of these allegations? Well, you know, the the majority of these types of charges, sexual assault charges, they do occur in a private venue. They occur behind closed doors. So rarely is there corroborative evidence and nor is it necessary in a court of law. If, if um, a person stands up and says, I was sexually assaulted, I have, you know, this person did this to me and I did not consent and that testimony is accepted, that's enough. We don't need DNA. We don't need fingerprints. We don't need text messages. We don't need photos or videos. We don't need any of that. So what what will be interesting in this case, uh, and again, I'm in the same position as I hope everyone else is, which is reserving judgment and and, uh, waiting for further information, but it appears as though there were multiple witnesses in the room who may not have been charged. And so in that case, this situation is quite unique because we may actually have independent witnesses, i.e. other players. Uh, you're also dealing with potentially five different versions of events uh, amongst those who are accused. So there's a lot of unique particularities here that I don't think necessarily uh, come up a lot in, in, uh, in a traditional criminal trial. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. There, there's a lot of very unique circumstances here. When we look at an NDA being signed, we look at uh, what's a, a, a settlement from a, a civil lawsuit earlier. We look at Hockey Canada being the one uh, on the side of a payment, not the defendants in this case. Like on top of that, Hockey Canada being having to stand in front of uh, the federal government and be investigated. The full ter- turnover of the board there. Uh, there's a PA involved for players. Uh, the NHL's done an investigation. I mean. Do you see this being anything except a long few years? Like, how does this play out with all these different variables? I mean, it sounds messy. From a, from a defense perspective, it sounds messy. Uh, typically, I like messy. Messy's good. 
okay, from a defense perspective. Uh, what I would be curious to know is the nature of any types of statements that had been taken from people, uh, the people in the room, for example. Uh, I would be curious to know uh, how many statements have been taken from her. I would be curious to know uh, what evidence the Crown is seeking to rely on. So, our, you know, our, it looks like they had a 94-page information to obtain or an application to uh, to uh, obtain phone records and production records and, and that type of thing. So I'm curious to know what the evidentiary matrix is that the Crown is trying to rely on here. And the short answer to your question is, you know, it's kind of like predicting the length of a hockey game. You think it's going to go three periods. Maybe it goes into overtime, double overtime. You don't know. Uh, I think conservatively, uh, depending on a number of factors, but conservatively, I mean, we're still going to be talking about this in 2025 easily. So that's a full year from now minimum. And then you're saying that's a conservative estimate. It wouldn't be crazy to suggest this could take up to two years. Well, I, I can tell you that Every accused enjoys a right to a trial within a reasonable time. And okay. and what a reasonable time is will depend on how these players and their lawyers decide to elect. So if they choose to go straight to trial uh, in provincial court, the threshold is 18 months where things become unreasonable timing. So that's sort of that's that's your governor. If they choose to have a preliminary inquiry and perhaps put this in front of a jury in superior court, then we're looking at 30 months. So those are the upper levels of what we have decided is unreasonable uh, in our in our judicial system. And to be clear, uh, the, the, this will be five separate cases, not one case, or, or, or can that change? And, and how would a, a plea work in here? Because there are three people in the room. Are, are they free and clear or can they be brought back in with charges later like uh, this is where we get into the whole le legal ecosystem that the jay and i aren't as familiar with thankfully no fair uh, I, I i appreciate <laughs> i appreciate being given the opportunity to um to chat with you guys about this so in terms of how they are charged the crown prosecutor has a number of options they can choose to prosecute them separately so five separate charging documents which is called an information or they can charge them together or they can charge them in clumps uh, so that is yet to be seen we don't know how that will uh, manifest itself uh, but that will have an impact on timing so the crown prosecutor may wish to prosecute them separately to ensure that trials get heard quicker so that we're not brushing up against that constitutional right to a trial within a reasonable time. We, the Crown certainly wouldn't want that to be infringed. Uh, so that's one of the factors, certainly, that they'll be looking at. In terms of plea, we are so far away from that question. Uh, the accused, Each of the accused will have the option to plead at guilty or not guilty. If I was their lawyer, I'd be entering pleas of not guilty swiftly upon my review of disclosure. But the most important thing at this stage is that each of their lawyers request, secure, and review disclosure. So disclosure is the, the police investigation. What does the Crown have? And then once their lawyers have that, once they have their disclosure, they can make an educated, uh, educated decision with respect to how to proceed with that. Now, that usually takes... I usually tell my clients ballpark six to eight weeks from date of arrest for initial disclosure. 
This case is a lot more complicated. So, I mean, if if the Crown and the police don't have their ducks in a row, it could take several months. Casey, how about the age of, of the players being minors at times? I mean, that's something that hasn't really even been brought up in a lot of the um, conversations. I mean, obviously, and rightfully so, if it was involving a bunch of young ladies that were minors at the time, that would be front and center. Being as some of these players were minors at the time, how does that come into play as far as a legal process? So if at the time of the allegations, a player was under the age of 18, they would be prosecuted pursuant to the Youth Criminal Justice Act. That still means that they would be facing sexual assault charges under the criminal code. So Section 271 of the criminal code, but they would be prosecuted as likely as as youth, uh, meaning that it would have different, there would be different considerations at play in terms of uh, moral culpability, so how blameworthy someone would be, uh, and in terms of uh, potential sentencing exposure at the end of the day if their lawyers were not successful. Yeah, and that's that's a, that's an if because of course they're they're in the tournament. It's a U twenty tournament. There are some players that are managed at that point. Now we're into the summer. We don't know which players are going to be here. I mean, people are definitely trying to connect the dots. There are five players that have essentially been granted personal leave um, that are amongst the players that were at that twenty eighteen event. Um, so we, we we won't know exactly the age of everyone until we know who these people are. H- how difficult is this with? Uh, five people missing from professional hockey leagues and five set to be charged on Feb 5. Um, to, to, like everyone is jumping to the conclusion. We would understand why, but again, until the actual charges are laid, we don't know officially who, who's being charged. That's fair. I mean, everybody, everybody's punching at shadows here, trying to connect the dots. And I, I think the more prudent course of action would be to just on it wait until february 5th see what comes out of the press conference and go from there instead of dragging someone through the mud unnecessarily if it just happens to be a coincidence hmm. casey just about the logistics of it like alcohol seemed to be a factor as it usually is in the in these cases how much of the onus is on the accuser or the potential victim and the alcohol consumption for that person and how much is it on the accused of handling themselves accordingly based on the alcohol level of a person that they're dealing with. How does that come into play? Oh, that is a loaded question uh, with a lengthy <laughs> legal answer. So I'll, I'll try and break it down. The, the question that you raise uh, touches on two issues, one of capacity and the other of reasonable steps to ascertain communicated consent. So capacity. That's a mouthful there. Ooh. Yeah, that's the, yeah, we can... <laughs> Yeah, it is. Well, we'll leave it at that. It is. Uh, capacity, we're talking about a person's ability to say yes or no to the sexual activity as it's occurring in the moment and the ability to rescind consent. So to be mid-act and say, you know what, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. So if a person is able, uh, has the capacity to consent or withdraw consent, then alcohol impacts, um, the, the, the impact of alcohol in the analysis is different. Obviously, when we look at alcohol, we think about things like credibility and reliability, because that is a penultimate question in these trials. So does this person have is is this person an accurate historian of what happened or was their memory impacted by alcohol? Uh, that's that's an issue separate and apart from capacity. 
And then as it concerns um, reasonable efforts to ascertain communicated consent, the onus is actually on, in, in this case, the, the men to determine that, that consent is, uh, is present. And uh, there is indeed no onus on the woman in this case to say, you know what, I'm not consenting. It's on. Oh, and you mentioned the the threshold for consent and and the the way that these cases have been. I guess the, the the legal ecosystem has changed over time with consent. Can you walk us through some of the evolutions there? Because I think it's it's close to the answer. It's right in the same ballpark, isn't it? Like it's a similar topic. Yeah, the easiest way that I could put it is that we are we are an affirmative consent system, meaning we're not looking at. Did a woman resist? Uh, did a woman say no? We're not looking at those factors. Those are irrelevant and those would be legal errors to look at. What we're looking at is, was there a voluntary agreement of the, in this case, woman to engage in the sexual activity in question? That's it and that's all. And then in 20, 30 years ago, that would be different or further back because you noted the evolution in this. The definition of consent has re remained relatively unchanged, so the, the criminal code definition, but the way that the case law interprets it has changed uh, significantly. Uh, to give you an example, uh, Sweden switched from a uh, uh, sort of passive consent to affirmative consent system, and convictions went through the roof. So when they said, you know what, you men, generally speaking, men are charged with this. I'm not saying women can't be, but generally speaking, it's men. You men have to take active steps in order to ascertain consent to each and every sexual activity that's occurring between you and another person. And when that happened, convictions rose because that's typically not how we see things evolve historically in a uh, closed door situation. Uh, so human behavior is having to shift in order to align with what the law is now requiring of people in these situations. Do you see massive sort of like cascading legal activity out of this? Like I think of uh, potential suspensions coming, uh, counter lawsuits. How, is that sort of sliding into a diff different area than, than what, what you are, which is a criminal defense lawyer? Or, or is that something that would be front and center for a lot of these lawyers representing the, uh, the, the players at this point? The second aspect of your question is more of a civil law question when it comes to okay. suing or countersuing. I will say that just given the fact that there has already been a lawsuit and that lawsuit settled, uh, the principle of what's called res judicata would apply, which basically means it's done. It's been decided. We're not going to relitigate it. Yeah. And I guess to that point, having a civil case that's already done, as you say, does that have any impact whatsoever? Uh, even an NDA that may have been signed, uh, does that have any impact on the criminal case or not? We'll have to see. If there were statements made under oath by persons who are witnesses or accused then those statements could be admissible. Uh, so by way of example, if I have a client who has an ongoing civil case at the same time as a criminal case, I will often recommend that their civil lawyer delay any kind of civil um, proceedings until after the conclusion of the criminal proceedings. You don't want to have your client tied down to a version of events uh, in writing in advance and give the Crown notice of where you're coming from. So... Hopefully that's advice that these gentlemen received and hopefully it's advice that they heeded, but time will tell. 
And as you talked about how, you know, this could take quite a bit of time, obviously these guys are, you know, from a PR standpoint, part of organizations that are going to try to protect their best interests. If this does happen, these players are charged and this process takes place from something that happened while they were not with the organization, while they were not in the league, does the league and the NHL and the organizations, the the teams, do they have the ability to say you're suspended for the time being or like what's their grounds as far as protecting themselves from a PR standpoint, but also having these players innocent until proven guilty? You know, that would be a question for the NHL and, and not a criminal law question. But I would urge anyone looking at this case to remember that in this country, you are presumed innocent until proven guilty and that any consequences that are imposed as as a result of charges puts us all at risk right? It puts us all in a position where we have to be fearful of what other people say, regardless of the proof. Casey, we appreciate your insights here. This, uh, I think when you said there's a lot of hair on it and it's messy, I mean, that, that might be the understatement of the day. This, this doesn't feel like anything that's going to be sorted swiftly or easily. Uh, we appreciate your insights. Any final comments or, or thoughts here as uh, we, we, we thank you for your time? Uh, no, I appreciate you having me on and wish you guys the best. Thanks, Casey. Thanks, Casey. That's Casey Fagan, a uh, criminal defense lawyer based out of Calgary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A big thank you to Seagram's. Now, Seagram's VO Canadian Whiskey, artfully and impeccably blended from Montreal where it's bottled. What does the VO stand for? Get this, Rosie. I got a little detail on this. Way back in the early 1900s, this was a wedding gift for one of the Seagram's, and they marked V and O on the barrels to say, hey, this is the special wedding whiskey. Well, 100 years later, it's been one of the most successful whiskeys ever sent from Canada to all corners of the world. Big thank you to Seagram's for jumping on the Department of Discipline. Let's get right back to the chaos, Rosie. Uh, we had a big suspension, a big suspension this week, but was it big enough? Let's check in mm. with noted hard worker and uh, little engine that could, Brendan Gallagher. Everyone loves the way this guy plays. This one feels a little out of character. It's the Isles. And the Habs, it's 3-1. And look out, a huge elbow from Gallagher. 
boop, right on the button. And this is an easy call for everyone in the building. It's Adam Pellick, who uh, is on the receiving end. What do you see here? And what were your immediate reactions when you see, I think, typically a very well-liked guy in Gallagher uh, involved in a play like this? Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, you know, the player, the character, the nastiness, the intention of it. He's going to make a hit on a defenseman coming straight up, but it's a bad hit all the way around. It's it's too late. It's got his elbow involved. He's reaching. He makes principal point of contact with the guy's head. He kind of lunges up to make sure he kind of gets the head instead of the body. And I mean, if you play it on regular speed from the time that it was a completely you know, potentially clean hit to the time it went wrong is about less than one second. So this is something that you have to clamp down on. You have to suspend this guy. You can allow this in the league. I don't think Gallagher necessarily, like if was just saying as he came up to the guy, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to elbow this guy right in the head. You know, he's trying to get a piece. Um, he, he does all the wrong things that you're not allowed to do, but he had about a half a second to, to make that decision. And he certainly made the wrong one. So, you know, the, the, the five game suspension is not a surprise to me. It's you knew you were going to get it. I mean, the whole building did. If you look on the zoom out version of it too, I mean, the plays kind of moved on to another side and you can just see this ruckus happen. You know, something that wasn't organic, that wasn't natural happened. And, you know, rightfully so suspensions were dealt out. You just, you can't be hitting guys in the head like that. There was a multitude of things wrong with it. I'm not getting up on Gallagher. Like you said, a well-liked guy doesn't have a huge history of, of playing dirty or anything plays hard but Mm. that line is often straddled by a lot of players and it is not hard and i know that you can cross that line in a split second and and regret it instantly and and as it should be you're going to pay the price when you do and gallagher is going to feel it with that five game suspension soon after it was announced uh by the league soon after the hit i think the the next morning it was noted that this would not be an in-person hearing and the significance of that the most the largest suspension you can get without an in-person hearing is five games many had this pegged sort of in the six to ten game range uh i know it's only one game off six but i was surprised they didn't bring them in at least to give themselves the option of a bigger suspension if this is bigger than five, are you like, no, 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 no. Or, or was your thought? Yeah, that could be sort of five, six, seven. Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it, at least it's a little bit more predictable here with George Peros. There was years there where nothing made sense. You had these monster suspensions. Then you had these non suspensions and these sprinkled suspensions. And it was very hard to understand what was going to get clamped down and, and what isn't. At the end of the day, I think they gave him the max they were allowed to give him without bringing him into New York and having an in-person hearing. Um, I'm okay with that. I, I mean, you know, P.K. Subban said on on his panel that he would have thrown the book at them based on the fact that there's so many eyeballs on this game and it's Patrick Waugh's first game. And I was kind of in shock to hear him say that. I think that's like saying, oh, well, I'm going to convict this person of this crime based on the fact that I don't like him or he's from this area or he is, does this for a living? Like, no, 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 no. You suspend based on the action. You have to have tunnel vision, zero in on the play. It doesn't matter who the player is, what team he plays for. If it's preseason playoffs, regular season, nationally televised, that should not matter one single bit. That's the definition of rules. You're not allowed to do this. You did. And then it gets finicky on how many games it is. I mean, nothing's, black and white there's some gray elements to it i understand but if you're gonna say you're gonna suspend a player more games because it was a big game or a saturday night game or because they're on the popular team that's ridiculous you 
punish based on the action, nothing else. And if I were ever to hear that a, uh, a suspension was a certain amount of time based on one of those outside factors that has nothing to do with the action, I would be livid. So I don't want to agree with P.K. Subban one little bit. I think George Perros looked at it, said, ah, he's going to make a hit last second. He makes the, the wrong move to try to catch a piece of him, catches his head, brings his elbow up, all bad things. It's a bit late as well. So, I mean, you got to understand that um, it is a split-second decision. It was suspendable. Five games is no, you know, small thing. That's several weeks, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yep. The message is going to be received, and I, I think it will be at that five-game number. I agree with you with your point on the, the circumstance. There's lots of things that matter, whether the player's hurt, um, but but to talk about how many people are watching and that doesn't have anything to do with it. If you had told me it was five to eight games, I said, yeah, that, that seems absolutely normal. I think people's fear was when there wasn't an in-person hearing, you'd be like, if this is two or three, that's just off. That that does not equate. And it does file in one game lower than David Perron's suspension of six games, which is the biggest that's been handed out this year. And rightfully so. One play a player uses his stick as a weapon and you, you gave him a heavy suspension and this one's a really dirty unnecessary hit where he had lots of opportunity to not make the wrong decision and didn't to your point things happen quickly but it's also a guy that's been in the league for well over a decade and had a lot of opportunities to uh to have hits like this where he hasn't chosen to place his elbow on the face of the receiver of the hit so I'm okay with five. I can understand why people might have wanted a couple more, but it's not way out of the realm of of what I think is reasonable discipline. Yeah, I think guys could split hairs and argue based on, you know, you wanting it to be more or less. That's totally fine. I think five is a, a, a relatively fair number. If you want to compare it against Perron's hit, 100%. This is a, a, it started out as a hockey play in the middle of game action. And then he made his mistake and his suspendable offense and and broke the rules, understandably. The other one, the whistle had gone. He goes directly to the guy to hurt him, uses a stick as a weapon, right in the head, right in the neck. I mean, of, of course, that's that's a different thing, that retaliation type of thing. This is Gallagher trying to make a hit and did it all kinds of wrong. So he's going to get clamped down on. But I do not think it should be more than the Perron suspension. And, you know, looking at George Peros's job, you have to take those other things into account. And he's probably going, well, I could easily give him six or seven for this. But how can I give Gallagher more when Perron only got this for doing all the things I had just mentioned. It's not even part of the play. It's going directly attacking a player, using your stick as a weapon, going at his head. I mean, it's not even close to a hockey player where you could argue that the result wasn't a, a hockey play, what Gallagher did, but his intention to start off was. So I can understand why that would be a little bit less than prawn suspension. Yeah, and I, I just think it's two separate categories. Like, um, using your stick as a weapon's a no-no. Like, we teach kids, we're, we're both coaches at minor hockey. That's a message that is clearly, and, you know, sent and repeatedly sent to players. You cannot use your stick as a weapon. You cannot use your stick as a weapon. You cannot use your stick as a weapon. Uh, whereas hitting, it's like, yeah, there, if that elbow's tucked down, that's just a good heavy hit. That's that's a one little twitch of, of, of a shoulder and it changes everything. The decision to raise your stick and move it forward as a weapon is one that we're trying to ingrain as kids. The moment that they get on the ice with a puck is not okay. So uh, it's sort of weird to compare one to the other. It's it's totally different types yeah. of breakings of the rules, right? Yeah, yeah, they shouldn't be compared. And like you said, the one you're you're allowed to body check. You're allowed yes. to go in with your body and paste a guy on his ass. That is legal. While doing that, there's parameters you have to stay within. Mm -hmm. But this is happening very fast. There's two grown men going head on to each other. 
things can happen in that split second. And it's up to the player to make sure you don't break those rules and breach those things, which he did. So the suspension is not small and I'm, I'm totally okay with it. I don't even like the fact where sometimes based on the injury, our time lost is is, is going to be it's a indicative of the suspension as well. Sometimes, you know, you can bury a guy from behind so badly that you risk breaking his neck and he pops up and continues playing. Yeah. And then you can go give a guy like some would argue a legal body check and he lays there and face down with his face on the ice and gets the trainer out there and stops the whole production and they get EMS and a stretcher out there only for him to get up and be like, oh, I'm woozy and go to the dressing room and then he's playing the next night. How yeah. can you, you know what I mean? It's it, You can't base it off on that. I, I just don't like it. It's similar to the high sticks. You can high stick a guy in the face horrendously, break his nose and it's a two-minute penalty or you could just clip his chin and a little bit of blood comes down and that's a four-minute penalty. I, I just don't like that. I don't think – I think it should be based on the action, yeah. not the result. No, I'm with you. It is tough, though. Uh, like you say, if you ended a guy's career on the same hit where a guy pops up, I understand why they're like, hey, this needs to be more serious. But you're right. It's it, The act is the act. But the outcome also matters. It, it's I, I, I have a tough time with that one because I do see both sides. Um that, that's probably one that we could go an hour on, I bet. And even someone like George Peros would be fascinating to ask about that. Be like, hey, same hit, different injury. One guy's frail, one guy's not. Like, why does that change the suspension? But we don't have George today, so we'll save that one. <laughs> or a worse, more dangerous hit. Yeah, or an innocent an hit that ends in a in a injury. I mean... To me, a person needs to be punished based on what he did, not necessarily what the result is. Again, we could probably argue that and go back and forth and use all kinds of different anecdotes and life experience and lawsuits and all kinds of stuff. But uh, at the end of the day, I don't mind the suspension. It was dirty. It is not clean. It deserves a five. If you wanted to argue six or seven, hey, that's your prerogative. But at the end of the day, I don't think George was way off base with this at all. Okay. Uh, you may remember almost a month ago, we spent a lot of time talking about the Coyotes and the Panthers. Let's remember back. Well, Jay, did you happen to see the Panthers and Coyotes met again this week? This time, it wasn't over game two of the season series in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, I mean, you go right to, right to warm up. I mean, they'll show the antics, but in warm up, they're at center ice. You got the tough guys going out of this. Really reminds me of playing with Zenin Kanopka, who was head and shoulders the king of starting antics in warm up. He would have guys. I fought in warm up because of Zenin Kanopka, I fought uh, Theo Peckham in warm-up and got suspended three games because of the stuff that Zenon would stir up. He loved it, but oftentimes opening face-offs would be just like this, and these guys have already had it planned out after warm-up. They'd talked about it. We are done with this kind of stuff, and uh, bad blood was boiling, and they couldn't wait for this puck drop, as you can tell. Scraps galore, and the one thing you got to watch for when this happens is who fights first, because who fights after that gets extra penalties, and there's other things to think about as far as uh you know sometimes suspensions are being kicked out misconducts, game misconducts yeah. are involved but if more than one guy drops their gloves the the second couple to do it are, is the ones that are going to get in trouble so 
I've been in that position where you're squaring off with a guy with your gloves off and people are yelling uncharacteristically. You look around and there's already a fight going on. you got to pick your gloves back up or, or risk getting kicked out. Uh, this is Ryan Lomberg, Jack McBain, the first scrap that uh, I think officially comes in at the five-second mark, but they were ready to go at the zero-second. Drop the puck already. Let's go. We're not, we're not playing oh, hockey yeah. here. This is a tilt right out of the gate. And uh, to your point... Uh, Jonah Gadjevich is out there. Liam O'Brien, the big heavyweight in, for the Coyotes, is out there. They're smart enough to wait until the next whistle so no one gets a misconduct and we get our second fight of the game, Rosie. Well, you can see it coming off the draw where O'Brien, you know, when the, when he's not even facing off or, you know, getting prepared not to battle for the puck and be part of the play, you're standing 10 feet behind. You're like, these guys are going again. And, you know, obviously this is... Bad blood. Lots has happened in in these two's uh, seasons so far, and guys don't like it, man. They have pride. They have egos. They want to stand up for each other. They want to make sure the message is sent. We do not put up with that stuff. We do not let it go unnoticed, and there will be consequences to whoever's wearing that jersey if you take liberties with our team, and that's exactly what that was, whether you like it or hate it. It's still alive and well. Yeah, and you know what? It all goes back to your boy Nick Cousins. Cousy, as you called him, he stirred this all up in the first game of the season series. That led to a dirty hit from behind on Cousins, who then lay on the ice. We didn't know if he was selling it or not. He's been out weeks and looks like he's closing in or has just returned, one of the two. Um, It's Florida, man. They love it. They got guys stirring it up, creating shitstorms, and then – Oh, you hurt one of our, we got to come back at you. I mean, this team is built for a seven game series. They would be no fun to line up across the face off dot from for two straight weeks. Well, I, I take that back for, for most hockey players, you would relish playing the Panthers, I think in a seven game series. And I think most fans would love watching it, man. Yeah. I mean, we've, we're, we've talked about it here, the here before the pace that gets brought up in the playoffs is always exponential. And for two teams that have bad blood, like these two, you'd be licking your lips, coming down the, uh, the puck drop for that one. A seven game series would be amazing. So I didn't have Arizona, Florida circled as one of the hottest rivalries in the league. And maybe this is just a little blip here, but we already talked about what was it? It was the, the, the Thanksgiving uh, day after game in Philly. We got to go back for that uh there was some uh, fisticuffs there we already talked about the first time anaheim rolls through philly next year so we could see this cutter goche potentially play against the flyers this one uh we'll have to keep our eye on the schedule maker maybe maybe they're in arizona maybe, maybe they're in salt lake city jay the coyotes by this time next year what did you make of the expansion news that we got a minute after we heard about uh the charges set to be laid against uh, the five players from the world junior team I mean, timing is what it is but they're going to raise their eyebrows over the timing of that, whether that was genuine timing or a deflection of negative press. Watching this league and and Gary, I, I, I think it would be silly to think it was anything but well-planned. I feel like that's been in the holster for a while. And when we need a little Certainly. look over here, look over here, don't look at this, look over here. That's that's That was ready for that. And, and you know what? If you want to join... The billionaires, I have an NHL franchise club of which there's only 32 members right now. You got to play by the NHL's rules. I think this was communicated for this is just my gut, obviously just a feel, but this feels about the way that Gary does things. Yeah, I mean, if, if you knew that was coming down the pike and, you know, I think that the timing was actually convenient for the NHL, you know, stakeholders and, and uh, commissioner that they 
had that in their chamber while mm -hmm. that negative news came out. And if you're running a business that's based on popularity and and public persona and Perception, public yeah. relations, obviously you have this huge story that you're going to break any minute here and you know this bad story is coming down the pike. It would make sense to uh, line them up and, and have them coincide so you can split the, the attention a little bit. But going to Utah, I mean, it sounds like this owner, like, this guy's like a 45-year-old multi-billionaire yeah. with his wife beside him. He's like my age. It makes me feel like an absolute pigeon for doing with what I've done with my life. This guy spent two years down in like Mexico doing humanitarian work as well. I wasted two years doing that. Wasted not, but as far as as far as gaining uh as far as gaining your net worth and stuff like wow. that, how he did that is beyond me, but he seems to have his ducks in a row. He's ready now. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big thing. It's not like we want to throw our a bid down to potentially look at and start the process. He's like, we're ready to go let's right go. now. Yep. Like, give us the team. Let's roll. And when you, I've been fairly publicly, um, you know, not a fan of the Arizona Coyotes, the way they handle their business, the way they leech off the players' escrow that they have to pay into the fund to make sure that the Coyotes get their fair share of hockey-related revenue. I think it's a joke that they're playing in Mullet Arena. I mean, early last year, you see the guys get dressed in, like, the concourse, basically, on fold-up chairs. It's fucking embarrassing for, you know, a league that's trying to be one of the big four in North America. Get it out of there. They've tried it. It doesn't work in Arizona. It's not a hockey culture. Try it somewhere where they actually want to fill the seats and have diehard fans that, that you know, start a tradition of, of building up that economy as far as hockey fans and make it generational, make it, you know, years to come of success and filling the barn and making money. It would be fantastic. There's a big hole in that part of the country that could use an NHL team. And if this guy with all the money behind him says he's going to make it work, I say give him a shot. Here's my read on the situation. The Coyotes have a very small amount of time before next year's NHL schedule comes out. They either secure land for a new rink north of Scottsdale, which I've heard is a very nice part of town to put a rink in. I think hockey in Phoenix can work. It just can't work in a 4,500-seat arena. We know it can't work in Glendale, and it hasn't worked with notoriously awful ownership. I and mean, they've had a lot of different forms of bad ownership there, including the current owners that immediately after taking over the team started ripping up contracts and trying to renegotiate with all of their partners. It's been a, to the point where Glendale's like, we'll happily lose money with an empty rink 40 more nights a year to not deal with you. And so I think this is last call for the Coyotes to remain in Arizona. I think the schedule maker is your hard deadline here if you're Gary Bettman. And I think the Salt Lake guy knows all this is shaken out. He knows what he's going to be asked to pay for the team. He's ready to bite the bullet on what some are expecting to be close to a $2 billion tag. Remember, it was a half billion for the Vegas Golden Knights, 650, I believe, for Seattle. Uh, he's not doing all this stuff publicly uh, if, if he's not ready to pay that price. You don't ask the NHL publicly and have them release the news it, 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 sort of with you right after that horrible news story breaks if you aren't ready to pay the price. I think they are all waiting here, and there's the few grains of sand left for the Arizona Coyotes to sort out a rink somewhere near Scottsdale where there's money, where people want to be hockey fans and where you have a lot of people that come to visit and stay in Phoenix. Uh, it could work there. It's a huge market and it has had some varying levels of success, but the team's been bad. The ownership's been shitty and they haven't been able to figure out a venue for ages. It's do or die for these guys, or it's going to be Atlanta Thrashers 2.0. This is going to be a late spring moving vans overnight. Away we go to a different market. 
and rightfully so. They've ha- they've had time to figure their shit out, and Decades. when they did at the very at the earliest of the of the Phoenix Coyotes, they did play you know in downtown, downtown yeah. uh, that arena there, and they filled it up, yeah, and they had great. it, but it was expensive to have that land and to get that that building secured. So they what do they do? They take the cheap way out and they go out to Glendale. Oh, the land's much cheaper over here. Nobody in Phoenix, it's going to be hard enough to make a team in Phoenix without putting your barn in the middle of the boondocks in Timbuktu. No one's fucking going out there and that's proven now. Yep. And it always reminds me of playing in Florida when you go to Sunrise, Florida to play the Panthers. You're out in the Everglades by the retirement homes and the outlet malls yep. and the building is not full. And then you go down the road to Tampa, and it's right, right downtown, downtown on Channel Side Drive, and the place is friggin' rocking. Jumping. Three Stanley Cups later, nothing but success, money coming out the ears, a huge fan base. Pay the piper up front and put the building where people fucking live yep. and s- reside and make sure you have success. Don't cheap your way out like Glendale and just see if you can make it work because it's blown up in the face. And personally, I don't like it because it costs the players money with this new CBA yep, putting so much money fans don't understand that their paychecks just have a percentage whacked off of it put into an escrow fund and at the end of the year you add up all the hockey related revenue of the teams and the teams that struggled you say oh here's a whole bunch of the players paycheck to make you feel to make you whole and it pisses me off to see them continually try to float the float the phoenix coyotes if you have 20,000 seat arenas you make a lot of money. When you have four and a half, you don't make a lot of money. And that is part of the pot that the players have a percentage of playing in front of 4,500 fans is bad for ownership and bad for players. It's a bad look for the league as well. Fun to go as a fan. If you get a chance before it's gone, but it's horrible for the economics of the sport. It hurts everyone, owners and players. No, nobody likes a team as part of this 32 member community. That's bringing in way less money than everyone else. It's, it's, it's not what they want. And so if you can go to salt Lake city where a rink will be okay for now, that will work. And they're going to likely be uh, granted the Olympics. It sounds like a slam dunk for 2034. They're going to be building a brand new event center there. It's just a no-brainer for me when you compare the two scenarios, whether you're an owner, a player, or a fan. It's it's, it's going to be a much better setup than what they're dealing with now. And, of course, the other alternative, get that rink done north in North Scottsdale. But I just don't trust this ownership group to get things done. Uh, all the people they've been in partnership with don't seem to want to do business with them. It's a lot of work to get a rink done in a short amount of time doesn't sound like it and i think you killed two birds with one stone they're talking about expansion i don't want to mm-hmm. see 33 teams in the league it throws off the divisions it yep. throws off the conferences mm-hmm. it's nice it's it's whole it's sweet right now i don't want to water down the product Agreed. anymore by adding 25 more players that shouldn't even be in the league into the fold this gets rid of the phoenix coyotes who have had more than enough time to get their shit together and mm-hmm. cannot do it you bring in a new team and a new atmosphere, which has proven to be successful in Seattle and Las Vegas. You yep. got an owner with deep pockets who wants to do it now, and you keep your 32-team yep. league, which is which is nice and even. So I think you, you kill a couple birds there, and it's uh, it's a good-looking thing. I, I think they should go ahead with it if possible. Yeah, and I, I think they frame this as expansion to not put the Coyotes in the crosshairs. It's just people that are paying attention knows what this really means. It's not about expansion. This is about a relocation option ASAP because even Gary now is uh, seems like ready to quit on the coyotes. It's been 20 ish years of just blunder after blunder even after Gary. blunder. Even Gary's finally ready to give up on the Yotes His baby. Uh, last one for you today. Uh, let us go. Well, we already had the scrap, you know, the expansion. 
I think we're good, Jay. Anything else you want to hit? Did you see the Huberto hit the other night? He he drilled uh, yeah. Jack Roslevic from behind. No suspension, no fine. Might have looked worse than it was because he, he hits uh, uh, Roslevic from behind and then the visor just cuts him up and he's bloody as hell walking down the tunnel, but maybe not Once as... Once again... Bad as once as again the re- the result is worse than the action. I mean that's yeah. a bump, yeah, from behind, but he's not going head first or anything. It's it's a hard bump. You can see he's like, oh god, he fell like that, and then he gets up, his visor cuts on I me. Mean, that that's not in his control. He gets up and blood spurting down. Yeah, it looks bad, but I think they got it right. That's not a suspendable offense. Jay, emergency podcast went great. With I hope everyone that heard Tuesday said, wow, there's not a lot of meat there. Well, we, we just had the, the prime room bu- buffet here on the weekend. So uh, we thank you for tuning in. Th- this Hockey Canada stuff, don't expect this to pass quickly. Th- this is going to be like the OJ trial for hockey fans, especially in Canada where it's the Canadian legal system and the biggest sport in the country. I expect uh, this to fill up most of the next two years and, uh, again, the, the hard thing to do and the one thing that I think we'd all should try to remember is that the entirety of our justice system is based on the belief of innocence until proven guilty. And that doesn't mean these uh, the people that are going to be charged didn't do anything wrong, but at least allow the judicial process to, to go through. L- let justice be found. And that doesn't mean it ends up one way or the other, but allow this process that's very important and a pillar of democracies. Let that process take place before arriving to a conclusion. Especially in something as important and serious as this. It's not something anyone should take lightly or just say, oh, they're so guilty or, oh, she's a dirty liar. That No, you weren't there. You do not know not one person who has an opinion on this online or on Twitter or any of that BS knows what happened. So, Try to keep your judgment to yourself because there's a lot of people's lives, livelihoods, reputations involved in this. Let the process take care. I promise you nobody's going to get more information than the court system out of this in the next couple of years. Keep your ear to the ground and listen to what comes of it and and we'll get to the bottom of it and, and they'll sort it out. But don't make matters worse by labeling people when you have no idea what's going on. That's That's the number one take I have from it so far. Well said, sir. Thanks for your efforts today. A big shout out to uh, Casey Fagan from Calgary, our legal correspondent on this day, joining us from her vacation. Uh, We appreciate that very much. And uh, next time we'll talk to you, it'll be from Toronto as we are heading to the center of the universe, Jay, for All-Star Week. I can't wait to see you there. And uh, we can't wait to talk to you from the center of the universe uh, over the All-Star festivities. Thanks for watching. The Big Smoke. Looking forward to it. Hogtown, The Big Smoke. See you then. My boy's a hockey player. My boy, he's pretty tough. I'm awfully proud of my boy. He ain't afraid to mix it up. Should have seen him whoop that Nichols kid. Gave that boy a bloody nose shoot. By the time he's 10 years old, my boy be ready for the pros. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.